While we are all still standing, I'd like to offer the scripture lesson for our sermon today from Acts chapter 2. I'll be reading the first 21 verses, Acts chapter 2. Now when the day of Pentecost had come to fulfillment, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak from Galilee? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one one another, whatever could this mean? Others, mocking, said, they are full of new wine." But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon into blood, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Thus far the reading of God's word and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your kindness in granting us your word and your Holy Spirit. And we pray now that once again your word and your spirit will shape us. For we bear your name and we long to do so honorably. Through Jesus we ask this and amen. Amen. You may be seated. There are false accusations of drunkenness in the Bible. False accusations of drunkenness in the Bible. Twice, these accusations included a confusion of speech, the arrival of judgment, and a resultant newness. Languages, judgment, and newness. In one case, her name was Hannah. Hannah was in the temple, and she was in prayer. She was longing, hoping, appealing to the Lord for a child. Her lips were moving, 
and so was the Holy Spirit. Eli, the religious leader of the day, the high priest, was present, and he was watching. Eli was weighty. The Hebrew word is kavod, which means he was glorious or fat. Eli saw Hannah. He saw her lips moving, but he didn't hear any words. He didn't hear any sounds. He didn't understand what was going on. It was above him. He assumed that Hannah was drunk, and he called for her to put her wine away. Hannah was praying for new life. Hannah was praying for a child. She was not drunk. However, Eli eventually, like a drunk, fell backwards and died. Judgment arrived and newness followed. The Lord heard Hannah's prayer. New life was given. A son was given and a child was born and he was named God Hears, Samuel. In our passage today, there is another accusation of drunkenness. And once again, people were speaking. Judgment came and newness occurred. The wonderful works of God were being proclaimed and many, including many of the religious leaders, did not understand what was going on. The position of these religious leaders was glorious. It was weighty. It was filled with fat. They couldn't hear. Those who were speaking were accused of being drunk with new wine. They were not drunk. The drunkenness was not a drunkenness of wine. The movement was not due to wine. This was the day of Pentecost. That was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And just like Eli the temple would soon fall backwards under judgment. Today, the title of our sermon is The Politics of Pentecost. The Politics of Pentecost. I want to take a step for just a moment into the Greek kitchen. Our English word politics or politic comes from a Greek word polis or polis, which means city. Those who are Members of that city are called polites. They are citizens. That's where this word politics comes from. So yes, this has something to do with the city today. The politics of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, we see the Lord forming and equipping his city. His new and renewed people. What we are seeing in this passage is the equipping and the forming of the people of God. This is always done by the Word and by the Spirit. Something is spoken and God's presence is given. And this forms community. Now, by the way, history shows the presence and the conflict of both the city of man and the city of God. History shows the presence and the conflict of both. The city of man and the city of God were both founded on the shedding of blood. The city of man 
was founded upon the shedding of the blood of others. We see this still to this day in the rage and the hatred and the violence that is present in our streets and in certain places that are called medical locations. Abortion, if it's nothing else, is the ongoing perpetuation of the city of man founded upon the shed blood of others. The city of God is also founded upon the shed blood, but in that case, it's the shed blood of one for others. It is no surprise, then, that Simon Peter, in speaking about the Lord's forming of his new people here in Acts chapter 2, speaks of Jesus Christ. Jesus was a man attested to you by, to, by God by miracles and wonders and signs which God did through him. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and crucified, and you have put him to death. That's Acts 2, 22 and 23. The city of man and the city of God are both founded upon shed blood. One, it's the blood of others. The city of God, it's founded upon the blood, shed blood of one for others. It is amazing as we reflect not just upon 2020, but our current day. And even take a look at history about the deplorable tragedy of violence. People are so quick to spew upon others. Their anger is seen not just in their deeds, but in their posts, in their tweets. They are truly showing evidence of the city of man. It is a tragedy. We come now, however, to the politics of Pentecost. Sadly, the whole idea of Pentecost has been buried or blurred through the idea of it being only associated with the speaking of tongues or miracles or arena healings as supposedly that which is to mark those who follow Jesus Christ. It is assumed that that's what it means to be of Pentecost. Entire churches, groups, or denominations have made this their identity, and they think to take it from this passage. To do so, to reduce Pentecost to the speaking of tongues, or wondrous signs, or arena healings is actually a reduction of the biblical story and it's a reduction of this passage that is before us today. So it's not just that the day of Pentecost had come fully, Acts 2.1, it's that the day of Pentecost is itself a fulfillment of a larger biblical story, one that we would do well to pay attention to as a light shining in a dark place. Our passage, chapter 2, verse 1, the day of Pentecost had fully come. The day of Pentecost had come to fulfillment is literally what verse 1 says. There's a sense in which the day of Pentecost is a fulfillment, a fulfillment of what we shall see. We are aware of some of the details. Let's go ahead and go through some of this right now before we take a look at three points about the politics of Pentecost. So first of all, in verse 2, the disciples were gathered. Then a sound came down from heaven. It occurred, a heavenly sound. It was a rushing and mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. 
This reminds us of the Lord's glorious descent into the Solomonic temple. It was filled with glory. The whole house was filled. But we know this is the Holy Spirit because of the wind. It's the wind of the Lord. The disciples were gathered in verse 2. And it's as if a sound of a freight train came through and it filled the house where they were. Verse 3, tongues, tongues of fire appeared and sat upon each of them. It's as if it marked them. We know this also, not just the wind, but the fire is an indication of the Holy Spirit being present. These tongues of fire sat upon them. So wind and fire. Verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other languages as the Spirit made possible. It's quite a gripping narrative. And now from verses 5 through 8, we see something of the scene and the astonishment going on in Jerusalem. Look at verses 5 and following. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together. You hear a sound like that? What's going on? And they were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. So various nations are gathered. They hear this sound. They come together. They wondered about the sound. Now they wonder about the languages. How in the world are we hearing this in the language in our childhood tongue? What's going on? Verse 8. How is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Then what follows is we read a listing of the nations. We read a listing of the gathered people, the nations, the countries, all from different backgrounds, all with different stories. Take a look at verse 9. The list is given. Parthians and Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. And then verse 11, Cretans and Arabians. And what's going on? While they are all from different places, they have something in common. The message is the same. What was it that they were hearing? The end of verse 11, we are hearing them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So verse 12, a great question is asked. They were all amazed. They're all perplexed, as you would be as well. And they asked this question. Whatever could this mean? What is going on? And then someone, or a number of someones, stands up and says, I know what's going on. They're drunk with new wine. This is a drunkenness. This is a false accusation of drunkenness. And then what follows from verses 12 through the rest of the passage that we read is Simon Peter's explanation. No, no, they're not drunk as you suppose. This is what the Lord said was going to happen when he poured out his spirit upon his people. There's something else going on here. So for the remainder of this time today, I'd like to offer you three points about the politics of Pentecost, the politics of Pentecost. First of all, Pentecost is the formation of a new people. Pentecost is the formation of a new people. The Lord at Pentecost is crafting a new world. This is a new creation. How do you get that? Well, at the beginning, we find the Spirit of God hovering The Spirit of God hovered at the first creation so as to fill 
and to form, that gives us the immediate indication that we're dealing with a new world here. As at the Genesis beginning, there was darkness and there was a void and the Spirit was present and then God's voice pierced the darkness to declare, let there be light. At Pentecost, the larger biblical story is seen in that our Lord once again hovers by His Holy Spirit. And what is He doing? He's taking the nations of the earth and forming them into His own people. This is a new world This is a new creation, and if you just look around, that's what the church is. We are a new world, we are a new creation, and something you'll hear repeatedly, we have the only answer for the confusion and the mess that is going on in society in the city of man, and we need to start acting like it. So the politics of Pentecost. Our society and the governments of the city of man are busy accepting any belief, any faith at all, under the name of being inclusive. The motto of the city of man is, one nation and many faiths, just believe whatever you want. Whereas our Lord declares, or you could say the motto of the city of God is, one faith for every nation. One faith for every nation. So the very first point is that the Lord is forming a new world. And that new world is formed by his word and by his spirit. Number two, Pentecost is a reversal of Babel. Pentecost is a reversal of Babel. You'll remember the account of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. Then and there at Babel, the city of man sought to reach heaven from the earth, and the Lord scattered them with languages. Here, at Pentecost, the Lord reaches down from heaven to earth, uniting a people, forming a people, declaring His mighty works through the languages of the nations. At Pentecost, instead of languages scattering, they gather the nations. This is a reversal of Babel. Now, the sign of tongues, foreign languages is usually an indication that judgment is present. This was clear at Babel. No one misses that point. But at other places throughout the Old Testament, when tongues, foreign languages were mentioned, it was also a sign of judgment. This is true in Deuteronomy 28. It's true in Isaiah 28. It's true in Jeremiah 5. You're getting ready to go into exile. You won't listen to my word in Hebrew. I'm going to give you other words that you're not going to understand. So that's why when God is making things new here, he also brings a judgment as he's bringing the newness. By the way, this is exactly why the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 14, 22 said, So then, tongues are a sign, not for those who believe, but for those who do not believe. Tongues are a sign of judgment. The Lord is doing something new here. As he forms his new world, he's rendering a judgment. This is a reversal of Babel. So the politics of Pentecost. The Lord claims people, to use the language of Revelation 7, verse 9, He claims people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And yes, we look around and we should be be marked by a profound sadness that there is such a rage and a violence going on outside of the church 
because someone is from a different nation or has a different skin color. No, the answer for all of this is found in the politics of Pentecost, that the Lord is, is forming a new city for himself, where we'll find people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. The only answer to the race rage that we have seen, always fueled by the pride of man, is the gospel, the global gospel of Pentecost. Revelation 11.5, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. May it be seen here, for we are a new people, the new creation of the Lord, and among us there's been a reversal of Babel, and it ought to look that way here. It ought to be demonstrated here, because we have the answer of the global gospel. Finally today, one final point. Pentecost is the commissioning of these formed people of God. Pentecost is the commissioning of the formed people of God. Pentecost is the fulfillment of the larger biblical story. We've seen that the Lord's new creation is present with his hovering spirit. And we've seen that Pentecost is a reversal of Babel. Our Lord makes new and he brings together. And yes... He does that among us from different backgrounds and different places with different stories, and we participate in his one story. However, there's more. Pentecost is the fulfillment of God's promise as he forms and commissions his people. I'd like to mention to you three chapters in the Bible. You actually know these chapters. Genesis 10, Genesis 11, and Genesis 12. Let me remind you of what you already know. Genesis 10, there is a listing of nations. Genesis 11 is the Tower of Babel. Hmm. Nations, confusion of languages. At Pentecost, there is a listing of the nations. And then the Lord's action through languages. This time in Acts 2, providing clarity not confusion. It's as if the Lord is picking up the entire story of the beginning saying, we'll deal with the nations, we'll deal with languages, what's next? Remember I mentioned Genesis 10, 11, and 12? What comes after Genesis 11? And you're welcome to say Genesis 12, and you'd be right. Genesis 12 is the call of Abraham. The call of Abraham where the Lord says, I will make you a great nation, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. It's interesting. We go from nations to a scattering, and then in Abraham, where the promise of God's covenant comes, he's going to bless all the families of the earth. It is no wonder, then, that at the baptism of the 3,000 souls in Acts chapter 2, it's no wonder, then, that Simon Peter points back to the promise made to Abraham. This promise is for you and for your children and for all those who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God shall call to himself. What we have here is the Lord's, and in Pentecost, there's a larger biblical story going on here. Genesis 9, languages. Genesis, excuse me, Genesis 10, languages. Genesis 11, the scattering at Babel. Genesis 12, the Lord's promise to Abraham that he will bless all the families of the earth. It's the same thing going on here. So when Simon Peter says, this promise is for you and for your children, 
And for all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. This was pretty much the language of Genesis chapter 17, where the Lord spoke to Abram and said, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout your, their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your children, your offspring after you. The politics of Pentecost. If we can focus here, if we keep our eyes on the gospel, we actually have an answer for the rage that's going on out there, for the, commu- for the, for the, uh, for the confusion and the anti-community that's going on. The church... The bride of Christ has a beautiful testimony. And so often we're going, you know what? I'm just going to close the book on it and I'm not going to act like it. Now, the politics of Pentecost in sum, and with this we conclude, the Lord acts and forms his people by his word and by his spirit. The claim of the Lord is upon us. We are a people under his authority. We are a new creation. Next, the Lord has removed the enmity between us and him, and that's supposed to be demonstrated in a removal of the enmity between one another. Sometimes when there's a squabble or a conflict going on in the body of Christ, I like to quote the Apostle Paul. Is that the way you learned Christ? We didn't learn Christ in that way. What kind of a testimony are we giving to the watching world? The Lord has removed the enmity between us and him, and this is to be seen in communion and community. This is a reversal of Babel. And finally, the Lord has equipped us by his word and by his spirit to go forth and to display this to the ends of the earth, for our Lord's word will always be fulfilled. He will keep his promise to Abram, Abraham and to his children after him. You. And so we are commissioned to go forth as people of the Word and the Spirit and to demonstrate before a watching world the politics of Pentecost. May the Lord be merciful to us and bless us in these ways. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we come to you through Jesus Christ, the ruler of the kings of the earth, the one before whom all must bow in obedience. Continue to strengthen us, giving us eyes to see your ways and your word and by your Spirit, the ability to obey the same. Continue to beautify us, your congregation. We ask this through Jesus our Lord, and amen.